Welcome to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast, where we discuss OSHA, EPA, safety policy, safety training, employee engagement, and everything in between. Safety is so much more than a technical skill. It's a motivational need. It's a means of engaging your team. Safety is a meaningful business practice that makes a direct impact on everyone in the organization. Hi, I'm your host for the podcast, Dr. Mark French, also known as The Safety Dude. As a certified safety professional and nationally registered EMT, I am excited to share my knowledge and passion from experience in environmental health, safety, security, and human resources. I've worked in the automotive, foods, chemical, nuclear, and e-commerce fields. I'm so glad you're joining me for this episode as we talk through the current issues in environmental health and safety and how they can affect the culture of your organization. Hello and welcome to this episode of the podcast. Really happy you could join me this week as we continue to talk through all those things, health, safety, everything in between, and how that affects us. So the ongoing discussion has been a lot about COVID-19 and how that is changing the landscape of how we are operating as safety professionals. And this is going to be far-reaching. There's already a lot of changes we've had to take. We've had to do a lot of learning very quickly as safety professionals of how to handle something like this, how to protect our team when something like this happens, how to think about cleaning and reopening and yeah there's been a lot of interesting thought that has come through it and flipping through the news it uh came across a really interesting topic that i hadn't had thought about but not really really thought about and this one here is about workers comp and so so, yeah I've i've thought about that i've thought about the fact that okay we're when do we file a COVID-19 claim as workers' compensation? And, of course, there's been a lot of talk in the medical field of wanting kind of that overarching need for, hey, we we need this paid for. We need this covered because we're on the front lines. We're dealing with it every day. And so there's been these hints of how do these things happen and how do we prepare for the workers' comp process and who deserves it, who's going to get it, where do you draw the line of compensability with something like this that is so widespread or can be widespread? How do you look at it from a compliance standpoint? And of course, there's the recordability. So we've we've touched on that a little bit together as we've talked about COVID-19 and how it's affecting our our workplaces and how we're changing the way we do things. But this one is interesting because now let's say all this is over two years more, maybe who knows how long before it settles down and we're back to normal, but we're still looking at this. So let's say you do have a huge increase in workers comp because you've just had those COVID claims and your insurance company end up having to take them because of legislation or because you it happened and you know or have proof that it was from work or let's say that. What happens to your rates now? How is this going to affect the landscape of workers' compensation rates? Like most insurance companies, insurance companies are not known to lose money. Um, they usually recoup their losses very quickly. 
or they try to. So as this happens, as maybe there's legislation that comes out that says, okay, you're, we're giving medical workers COVID-19 coverage, or maybe your insurance company is being directed or your state has been said that workers' compensation is going to cover COVID-19. Um, who knows what the cost could be there? It could be as simple as a doctor's visit. It could be as complex as a very long stay in the hospital, unfortunately. There's quite the range of COVID-19 diagnoses. And then, of course, there's the whole, like, what is a COVID-related death, um, which is something that that's a huge topic. And I'm not sure I could even begin to touch on that because it's very politically oriented. Like, I've watched a number of videos of how it's classified. It's different from state to state, it appears. Um, federally, it appears to be maybe a little bit different there, the nuances of how they're counting it. Maybe it's accurate, maybe it's not. Uh, I'm not going to really touch that. But nonetheless, from a workers' compensation standpoint, from an OSHA standpoint also, and from your OSHA log standpoint, that can be a very complex topic that you have to look at. And I'm not sure we've defined that very well yet as an industry. And I think we're starting to. I think there's a lot of companies out there that are taking that proactive approach. They're doing their very best with the technology they have, with the technology that's available, in trying to determine did this happen at work? So we know we had someone who came back and had a positive test. Who did they come into contact with? Can we review video? Can we do interviews? Can we try to figure out where they were working that day? Do we know where they were assigned? Uh, do we know who they came into contact with? And, and doing their very best to see that if any cases develop from that, and then you might have that more than reasonable doubt that it happened at work. And so there's a lot of companies that are proactively really trying to figure this out. And they're trying to be ahead of the curve. And they're trying to really help their, their team. And isn't that that's what it's about, is having medical coverage that can help in these times, having um, people that are being available to answer questions and help enforce and clean and do all the things that are necessary. But reading through this article, it really did strike me is that this is something that this this year of workers comp because sometimes that your rate will hang on there for a while for a number of years after you've had a either a good or bad year it's still factored in there so these um these covid claims could affect your workplace now for years and years based on the rate um, especially if you end up having to take a lot of workers compensation because of it or if you have a lot of expensive workers' compensation because of it. And so we have to think long-term now is, okay, how is our state going to treat this? And it will be state-to-state, state, there's no doubt. And already reading about it, it's already state-to-state. State. There's a lot of states that are being very proactive. There's some states that are kind of waiting to see how this will go. And that'll be very, I think, intense is going to be the word I'm going to have to use for that one because it's going to be weird. Uh, years afterward, we're still going to be learning from this from the standpoint of, okay, well, how did it affect our rates? And is there going to be a, a lobby or a push from companies to say, hey, you need to exempt this. This should not be part of my calculated rate or this should not affect because it was a global pandemic. This is not something that was a localized incident. It wasn't a lockout tagout issue. It wasn't a chemical issue. It wasn't a sprain or strain that happened because of repetitive work that we know exists. 
This is a global pandemic that you could be affected at home, at work, at the store, um, at anywhere, out going to pick up dinner. I mean, it, you could be affected by this. And certainly when it started, we weren't sure how to protect effectively. We knew some. We didn't know all. Now that's evolved. It will probably evolve again. So it's not like a predictable hazard that we're used to. And so when it comes to workers' comp, if a state mandates that, hey, you're going to take them or you're going to take 50% of them or you're going to take these without proof or something, I, I think that's going to be interesting. But we've seen so far that a lot of states are either, one, delaying a lot of workers' comp uh, and, and not able to handle the volume that's coming in or rejecting pretty significant numbers just based on the fact that there may not be proof that it was work-related, that it just no proof, just simply I have it, I'm filing workers' comp. So there's some states that are filtering those out very quickly and at least trying to break out the ones that we know are not relative to the workplace or at least not blatantly relative to the workplace. So maybe there will be some good sense there. But then there's these pushes from certain certain groups that are saying, well, we want it, we just want it. We deserve it. And that's the frontline medical workers specifically. And, you know, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that goes, to follow it, to see how that actually works out. So, again, very interesting to see how is this going to affect us long term? How are the states going to handle it? How long will it take for them to work out from underneath the backlog of all the claims they have? Um, it's very, very impressive how much this is generated in such a short amount of time. So it will be something we have to look at and follow and see. And I'm curious to watch some of the insurance uh, publications of how is that going to affect our rates going forward um, after this year and the next year. I'm just curious how much of that will be affected, if any. Maybe maybe it'll be one of those things that smooths out with the financials, uh, like a lot of things that it just we absorb it and we move on and we find our path forward. Maybe so. But to close out this first half of the podcast, found a very interesting story that kind of made me scratch my head and uh, almost gave me a little bit of a chuckle, not in a good way, but kind of in a very sarcastic chuckle. I have those tendencies, as a lot of safety people do. Anyway, I've categorized myself there a little bit, sorry. But anyway, a Texas real estate company. Uh, <laughs> the CEO walks into a meeting and basically tells a guy that's wearing his mask, like, take your mask off or go home. You're, we don't wear masks here. So evidently he's not a believer in the uh, mask program. Uh, also not a big believer in the COVID issues or not a big believer that it was as bad as what it was and basically threatened the guy that like, you can just go home. You're going to get fired here if you don't take that mask off. So, of course, there was an OSHA call, and that just led to further and further. Because, okay, he's wearing PPE that he thinks is necessary, and you don't have any proof that's not necessary. And how is that hurting you, that he's wanting to wear a, a cotton mask that he's being told to wear from, like, most state agencies and science and medical professionals, whether you believe in it or not, or whatever your 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 item is. It's one of those things that me wearing one or such like that, not sure how it affects someone else. And for someone to blatantly come in and go, you know, we're not going to wear them here and you can just walk out if you don't. Yeah, very interesting. Shows you uh, 
how polarized this topic is, that it has truly become such a polar issue um, and can really create some interesting issues for that. But found that completely fascinating that now there's that opposite where you have, we've talked for a number of weeks about people begging for PPE. We need it. We need it. Please get it. We're running short. Um, And now, telling them oh, just don't wear it if you do you're not you're not part of this team anymore buddy very impressive anyway more podcast in just a moment tsd amalgamated your partner in safety consulting find them on the web at tsdamalgamated.com With over 15 years of experience in various industries, setting up ISO, TS, and RC systems, the professional team at TSD Amalgamated is ready to help you take your safety program to that next level. TSD Amalgamated is skilled in technical and behavioral auditing, from training employees on OSHA compliance standards to helping your leadership team see how safety can help drive real organizational change. TSD Amalgamated is there to be your partner. Their process is not a fill-in-the-blank policy or training process. They want to know your team, your needs, and create processes that create total organizational ownership. TSD Amalgamated, where do you want your safety programs to take you? www.tsdamalgamated.com Welcome back to the second half of this week's podcast. Again, glad you could join me. So the past couple of weeks or a few news articles we really focused on was on food safety and the some fines and some articles that came out about in the food world, uh, OSHA compliance. And one thing that happened uh, this month, middle of the month, is that OSHA made an agreement with the Meat Institute. And I found an op-ed um, article about that, talking about it. And kind of in that same line of that, we saw a lot of fines there for a little while for one food industry in particular, one company, but then also various other meatpacking uh, food style materials getting a lot of OSHA fines, especially for lockout tagout, especially for machine guarding, which is common because there's a lot of times you do have to disassemble the equipment to clean it. That's necessary. Um, and sometimes you have to advance it to clean it. And the process of lockout tag out can be difficult and it's not set up for that. It's set up to be disassembled and cleaned. It's set up to be, uh, in a way that can be disinfected easily. It's set up in a way to do the job. It's not necessarily set up in a way that is easy to do all that safely. So we hit on that, I think last week or maybe the week before a little bit. And and now we see where they're making a partnership. And again, I don't like to get political. I don't want to do that because all that does is get people really fired up. But I think there's a couple things that can come from this. And I think this is a double-edged sword. And I think it's the way you look at it. The first way is that maybe this is good. And it could be. It very well could be. It could be that OSHA now is going to try to open some transparency between the two. 
and start looking at it better. And that's the hope. I mean, honestly, I try to look at the bright side of where we can, even though I'm, I'm also quite the cynic at times. Nonetheless, the bright side of this is that maybe this is going to open it up. Maybe there's going to be more dialogue. Maybe there's going to be more transparency of what is going on and how that the two can partner with each other to learn. Maybe a full-out study to look at how can we improve the equipment to make it easier for you to do your job safely. That'd be great. And I think that was a lot of some of the work I had done when in the industry was how do we set the equipment up to be easier? Because we want it to be safe. We've got to make it safe. But is there a way that we can engineer it? Is there a way we can redo it to accomplish both goals? Now, neither one, as far as timing wise, will ever be as fast as what it was when there were no precautions. But can we optimize it? And if you have any lean folks, they're fantastic for that. Huge help. Um, learned a lot. From, from doing that, and I thought that was something fun, it was something interesting, and it was something helpful because we were able to improve what we were doing and create a very safe way to do it. And sure, it wasn't perfect. Um, There's always room to make it better, but it was safe. And it was better than the old way of no protections or the old way of where it took forever to do something. So maybe this is going to open that up. Maybe there's going to be some studies because I love reading some of the in-depth work that has been done where you comprehensively go in and look at each job and how do we improve it and how do we fix it. And we learn a lot from that. We learned a lot about machine guarding from that. We learned a lot about ergonomics from doing studies like that. And those studies are very helpful for all industries because it shows that it can be done. It takes effort. It takes time. It takes some money. But it's really about that investment in our people. And every minute that we take for safety is an investment in our team. Every time we do something and talk about safety, positive or negative, and I love the positives, that's an investment in our people. It's not just an investment in safety. It's not just an investment in, in just time. It's not just a time waste. It's a truly an investment, and it does pay off. And a lot of people don't have the patience for it. Ooh, I'm about to go down a rabbit hole, but I will take it down a little way there. When, From the psychology part of safety, when we improve our processes, when we visibly show that we're actively working on safety issues, there will be a delay. And before we see a cultural shift, inevitable. And it could be months, it could be years. And honestly, I don't think it can be any faster than probably three to six months. I don't think you're going to see any type of cultural shift. And from my experience at six months, at the best, that when you're really working hard at it, you can see a nice cultural shift around the six-month mark. If you're not, it takes a little bit longer. And it takes some time to invest that. But when you're putting effort, like if you're opening that transparency and you're saying, yeah, we got issues and yeah, we're going to start working on them and you're going to see some changes and we're going to make a poster and we're going to show you all the things we're changing. And you keep systemically taking things off the list and making things better. You are going to see a cultural shift, but it will not be immediately. And I think that's where a lot of companies get really discouraged because when you take a, a standard idea of production, you take a standard idea of quality, you take a standard idea of delivery or cost. And so I've used the safety, quality, delivery, inventory, and cost method of measurement. All the other ones, but safety, when you're looking at those metrics, when you do something, you see an almost immediate change in that metric. Like it goes from 
50% good to 70% good. And you can measure that very quickly because if you make a process improvement, boom, more process. If you make a quality improvement, boom, easier quality. If you start cutting cost, boom, you start to see your, your Excel sheet balances changing. You make changes to safety, you don't see the cultural change for months later. And it can be very discouraging to a lot of companies. And I think that's why safety sometimes tapers off is that they start putting that effort in, but then they don't see the results they want to see immediately. And then they go, well, that, that didn't work. We're done with that. Stop doing that. That didn't work. And the truth is you got to keep going and you will see it pay off. So this could be that investment. This could be them partnering with the industry, partnering with OSHA and saying, it's time. It's time for us to do it. Let's get together. Now, this article in particular uh, took the opposite side of it, that this is more of a political stance, that there was some money invested, some lobbyists made, and and they shook hands and said, yeah, we're going to work together. So it shows the effort in a public space that, okay, yeah, it's we're we're going to make these big changes and then nothing will happen or they'll kill it in committee. As we sometimes say that if you want something never to happen, put it in a committee, let it sit there for a while. Eventually it just dies off because the committee can never make a decision. And so that was kind of the way the article looked at this is that they've been getting some very bad press. And so this was an opportunity to get their lobbyists involved get some people involved and shake some hands, make some headlines and show that, they are going to do the best they can. Now, again, that was this article in particular where I found it to learn about it that kind of took that issue. So I just looked at that and thought, well, that's interesting because it could go both ways. It could be something that we're finally looking at and we're starting to develop. We're starting to look at how we do it and then we work to do it. Or it could be truly just, Hey, this is, this is our new political stance so that we look like we're doing something. And you, and you know what, as far as six months from now, if we look at this and we see injuries or we still see the headlines being the same, or we still see the same companies getting those repeat willful fines, well, there's the proof. And again, the cultural shift will be later if there is one. But some of the fines, some of the issues, some of the machine guarding things, as far as that is concerned, you will see those potentially, depending on the audits, depending on how fast they go, those could change very quickly. So I think time will tell. So as we go into early next year, I think we'll be able to see if this played out good or bad. I think there'll be some, at least, at least we'll be able to find out one way or the other what happened. So closing out, uh, another interesting article, this one here about the farm industry and talking about heat stress in particular and how to prevent it. So, yeah, we're still in the midst of summer in a lot of places. Still heat indexes and temperatures are raging. Stay hydrated. And, of course, use the buddy system. If you're going to be out working, if you know you have team members that are out working in the heat or in hot areas, make sure you have some regular checks. Make sure someone's going out there and taking a look. Because sometimes as the heat exhaustion sets in, a little bit of confusion can set in and you get that idea that I'm not, I'm fine. I'm going to keep working. And they need someone to tap them on the shoulder and say, you know what? Go get some water. Go, uh, go sit in the air conditioner for a minute or go sit in the shade. So take a look, make sure you're, you're watching out for your team. And I've certainly in my youth, um, 
did some farm work around here, being growing up in a rural area, helped out some family members with farming, and it taught me a lot. It taught me that that's tough work, and uh, it really wasn't for me because it was hard, hard labor, and hot, and dirty, and wow, they do a lot of good work for us when they're doing this work, and so we need to watch after them. So I'm happy to see that there's some some discussion going on about making sure we protect our workers who are out in the fields, but also all of our workers in this time of the year when it's hot. Watch out for them. Uh, that way, that buddy system is so important when it comes to some of these illnesses, because sometimes these illnesses affect us in a way that we don't recognize that we're having an issue until it's too late. So anyway, watch out for each other. And until next time, stay safe. Thanks for listening to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Join the conversation on the internet at www.thesafetydude.org or on Twitter at thesafetydude. As always, all opinions are my own and not affiliated with any business entity. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only. It is not a substitute for proper policy, appropriate training, or legal advice. I always encourage you to learn more about safety regulations and examine the facts with your unique perspective. This has been the Leading and Learning Through Safety Podcast. <music>